Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time for another Benny J bonus interview brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. Bonus time on the Ben Jaraska Show as I speak. It is what? Oh, my goodness. Thursday, January 12th, 2023. I know that's true because I'm reading the Sun-Times. Uh, my distinguished guest is waiting for me. But before we bring on my distinguished guest, I'm going to just tell you what's in the news today. Just so you know, when you're listening to this a year from now, because that's how podcasts work. When you're listening to this from a year, uh, a year from now, uh, which you will know, well, hey, what was going on when Ben had this conversation with his distinguished guest? And how about this? This story is so hot. It's literally not coming from my newspaper. It's from my phone. Okay? I'm being very millennialistic with you right now, ladies and gentlemen. I put aside the paper. I'm going to show my distinguished guest. It's a real newspaper. Distinguished guest is like, oh, my God. He must be old. He's got a newspaper. And I'll now show my distinguished guest. It's a phone. And I know how to use it. From the Washington Post. This just broke. Biden's classified documents explain what to know about the investigation. (laughs) Man, I could go, I could do a half hour on this. I could do a half hour on this. I won't because we have other issues to discuss today at this moment with this distinguished guest. But I guarantee you we'll be talking about this later on uh, with a David Ferris interview that I'm going to be conducting. I, I, I got to tell you, Joe Biden, man, this is I'm just going to take this, put this away from the Donald Trump uh, documents fiasco or just put it aside and just view this. Uh, from my lefty perspective, this is a joke. That Joe Biden, it's like he found these documents in his, what, I think they said they found them in a garage, I want to say, in his house or something. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? What What made you think that was a good idea? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a box of documents and put it in my garage. I, you know what? There's probably, there could be a good explanation. There could be a good, like, I was just collecting everything and I didn't know these were internal documents. There's top secret documents, you know, I, I mean, it's something I would do to be honest. You know, I don't really pay attention to anything in my life. I'm more focused on one show kind of guy. Like my focus right now is on this distinguished guest and what we're going to be talking about. So I, I could easily just sweep some stuff up, but I'm not a vice president. I'm just some podcaster. Talking into a mic over looking in an alley. Absolutely preposterous that he would uh, <laughs> and uncover it. You know, that's the second uh, bunch of documents he's uncovered. Um, but the part of the story that makes it utter comical is watching the Republicans and their outrage. They were nowhere to be found when the stories broke about Donnie Trump. And we all know the differences between the two cases. In one case, Biden himself alerted the feds that he had these documents or lawyers for Biden alerted the feds. In the other case, the feds came and knocking on Donnie Trump's door and said, hey, 
we know you have these documents, turn them over, and he refused. Listen, I welcome whatever investigation comes, and I'm glad that MAGA has awoken to the seriousness of this issue or the importance of this issue, <laughs> but you got to laugh. You got to laugh at the flexibility of MAGA. All of a sudden, they're outraged. This is an outrage. Heads will roll. <laughs> and they were defending. What about the deep state that's encroaching on the rights of a president? If they could do it to Biden, MAGA, they could do it to you. Isn't that what you said about Donald Trump? All right, enough on that topic. That's what the headlines in the newspapers are today. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, Happy New Year, Ben Jarofsky. Brandon Johnson, Cook County Commissioner, better known as um, one of the greatest public school teachers ever to step foot in Cabrini Green, USA. Oh. One of, yeah. So no, I'm happy to be back with you. Um, and again, Happy New Year. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about um, how well the progressive movement is doing. Yeah, we'll start off with that. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to talk about today. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get to uh, Lori Lightfoot and the teachers. Uh, we will get to that in a, li in a little bit. But uh, uh, I got to start off with that. I made fun of this, uh, Brandon. Uh, so feel free to come right back at me hard if you want. Uh, so there was a uh, it was OK, it was initially presented as a poll and then it was, I guess, changed to survey by the Daily Line uh, and Crane Chicago Business that I could not believe. And I put this in, uh, in a uh, column that I wrote for the reader, and I'll tell you why I couldn't believe it. Lifelong lefty have always worked from the assumption that I am so out of touch with my Chicago neighbors and uh, fellow Chicagoans that anybody that I would have an inclination, even an inclination to vote for for mayor could not possibly be a front runner. <laughs> No, so like my guy will be like at the, at the three or four, five percent mark, and I'll be like, I voted for you when I see him at the grocery store. I'm with you, my brother. Okay, so I could not believe it, Brandon Johnson, that the two people at the top of the polls were lefties. So I have to ask you, uh, do you think I'm unfair to criticize that poll or survey? Do you think that Chicago has changed? And it's more left than it used to be? Or do you think I've always underestimated the left support in Chicago? Take it away, Brandon Johnson. Well, it certainly is um, a shift from our first conversation. I mean, remember when I got into this race, um, you know, the, the big critique of our operation was, well, no one knows him. Well, clearly that's wrong, right? And this is before we actually um, uh, got up on television and we're running you know, television ads now. So at the very least, I think it's um, important for us to at least recognize that for someone like me who has not been a career politician, um, someone like me who um, is recently in the classroom and as an organizer, to be in a position where individuals who took this survey see their values reflected in my candidacy. So making that recognition is the first thing to do. You know, as far as this dynamic of, you know, underestimating, um, you know, our values, the challenge has been, as you know, I, I actually believe that the residents of the city of Chicago have longed for transformational um, leadership. The, the challenge that we've had though, is that um, politics have been controlled by, you know, political bosses. 
So that infrastructure is has weakened, and in many instances, it doesn't exist. And it's also important to note that I've been on the front line chipping away at that infrastructure, right? And I don't go through, you know, the entire list of candidates that I've supported, but let's talk about the issues though, that I've been on the front line organizing and chipping away at the infrastructure, forcing the political establishment as we would refer to it as um, to capitulate to, to essentially what I believe residents of the city of Chicago have long wanted. And so that's everything from my fight and leadership on the front line calling for an elected representative school board. You know, one of those other dynamics, you know, Ben, you remember uh, when you came to Chicago and there was a lot of talk around um, that being a possibility in the 80s and it didn't happen, right? And so, you know, we kept chipping away at it. And as a result of it, we're gonna have an elected representative school board, you know, more civilian oversight of policing in the city of Chicago, also another um, area of the front line that we've been pushing and organizing and, forcing really the political establishment to capitulate to the values that the city of Chicago um, has long wanted. Um, same thing for the fight for 15, which I actually believe that it's time to modulate and making sure that we're fight, fighting for 25, right? But that was something that the political establishment, um, you know, did not want to acquiesce to. We forced that. And as an organizer, I've been a, a hunger striker on the front line, um, pushing back against the, the school privatization schemes um, that has been very detrimental throughout the city of Chicago. So I, I understand, you know, why you would be a little reticent to, to, to make some acknowledgement to the, to the hopefulness around it, but just keep in mind, Ben, that the work that you have done and individuals who were, you know, very, very much tied to the progressive cause in the early 80s, you know, now the nephews and the grandchildren of that generation, you notice I didn't take a shot at you. I'm going to just, I'm going to be your nephew today and not your grandson. Um, but, you know, now we're reaping the benefits of some of that organizing and now we're pushing back. And I think the last thing that it also says is this, that the city of Chicago recognizes even more that you have to have authentic people with the lived experience every single day that 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 know um, what it's like to live in the city of Chicago and how hard it is, but also the lived experience to know that it can be better. And that's what my message has been that, you know, my lived experience as an organizer, as a teacher, as a Cook County Commissioner, that my lived experience is giving people hope that the city of Chicago can be better. And of course, they, it's going to be better with Brandon as mayor. All right. Are you uh, cautioning your uh, uh, supporters, your door knockers, uh, not to get too carried away by that initial survey uh, and, and think of victory before we're even like a month out from the election? In fact, it's just the opposite. People are motivated by it. You know, look, you know, you don't take Scotty and, and uh, Pippen out the game ever. <laughs> you don't ever take... Michael Jordan out the game, right? I mean, you play through um, it's in the, the until the whistle blows and or to you know that clock hits zero. So you can't take anything for granted. As you know, this is this is Chicago, right? So uh, the winds blow in many different directions. The 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 temperature fluctuates um, often, and same thing applies obviously to the politics of the city of Chicago. And I think. What's most important is that not just so much the positivity around this recent survey, 
because it is a snapshot, right? I mean, that's I don't get too carried away with these snapshots of how people are feeling about um, a particular moment. It's really more about people are still chasing this economy um, that continues to, to to be behind us. And as things in front of us continue to crumble, we have tremendous incentive to continue to run and to not take it for granted that somehow uh, this particular snapshot is the end. It's not. Um, it's not the end until no one is living in poverty. It's not the end until um, those who are unhoused have access to housing. You know, when we have you know fully funded neighborhood schools that you know, families like mine, whether you live in Austin or Jefferson Park or McKinley Park or, you know, Ravenswood or Inglewood, wherever you live, that we're all applying for the limited resources that are being offered in our public school system. We want to shift and change that structure in a very dramatic way. So that's what our goal is. It's not just simply winning the office. It's winning equity and justice. And that's what my campaign is centered around. And that's what my administration is going to reflect. All right. And uh, so let's move to the uh, headline story of the day. Uh, and again, as I'm t- we're talking, it's January 12th. So, folks, if you're listening to this uh, three months after the election or something, this was uh, a big story in the local press today. And I first was alerted to it last night. Uh, people started sending me texts. <laughs> and you said it as a way of interest, a pers- uh, perfect segue, uh, Brandon. You goes, this is Chicago. And when you said that, I wrote it down like, yes. The next story I'm about to share with you is so quintessential Chicago. <laughs> I've been living here since 81, folks. Sometimes I'm like, man, this is, it gets even more Chicago-y every day I'm living here. Uh, I guess I'm going to shout out to Michael Girardi, a listener, a rock and roller from the southwest side of Chicago, who is one of the uh, listeners who sent me this article warning me, I guess, to talk about on the show today. Uh, and here's what he sent. This is not an article in The Onion, nor is it a satirical opinion column, but I'm not sure how this could be real. And the headline from the Sun-Times... Uh, Fran Spielman, Nate Arissa, shout out to you too. Lightfoot campaign promises to stop soliciting CPS student volunteers after criticism. Uh, after criticism is the the impertinent part of that headline because it took her three bites at the apple, uh, the the Lori Lightfoot campaign to admit it was not a good idea to uh, send out an email to Chicago public school teachers. Uh, off telling them their kids get extra credit if they come work for the Lori Lightfoot campaign. And by the way, I just think if it was the Brandon Johnson campaign with its uh, Chicago teacher union, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Everyone from Donald Trump to Bruce Rauner to Rahm Emanuel weighing in from Japan, you know, the crane Chicago business would be outraged. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, right, you're absolutely right. Go on. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, you know, the only other name you did not invoke was uh, Ken Griffin. Um, but to your point, though, you know, that the the structure in this city has had such an advantage over the rest of us. Um, it has left our communities in peril. And the fact that the Lightfoot administration um, is carrying on that type of legacy it's um it's 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 a further it's another example of how she demonstrates over and over again that she cannot be trusted um this was you know it was obviously unethical um, and quite frankly i think it's actually obscene um for her 
um, to be so ruthless and careless in her approach. But that's been the mark of her administration. She's broken multiple promises. She, again, just revealed that she cannot be trusted. And the type of politics that we were just referring to with, with our last topic is that she is trying to replicate, you know, the, the daily era, the ROM era, where you use force and intimidation um, to, to have your way. And the residents of Chicago um, are rejecting that. And so let's just start there. I think the second thing is, you know, she has demonstrated so much disdain towards working people in this city, including, you know, the ridiculing of children who, and young people who have called for like real violence intervention with the peace book um, that Good Kids Mad City has been promoting. Uh, individuals who want to make sure that students with disabilities or IEPs, special education services are fully funded and supported. Um, her administration has been um, sued by the State Board of, of Education because she hasn't fulfilled and lived up to the very basic um, fundamental ideas of being able to carry out special education. And so the, 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 the fact that she has missed repeatedly as it relates to the type of engagement that she could have done over these last four years to show that young people are valued, to show that workers, educators in particular, are valued, that it's, it, it's only when she believes that she can benefit personally um, that 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 is that is a, another marker to indicate an indicator of just her lack of care. And I think third thing, the final thing is, there are ways in which you can engage young people. Ben, you know, I've, I've you know I've I've taught middle school, I've taught high school. I was a, in fact, Ben, I think you'll appreciate this. So during the 2011 mayoral run, I was the teacher sponsor of Mikva Challenge. So there are there are groups that do this. To me, it would have made more sense for her to, to bring people together and say, look, let's let's find ways in which we can support institutions like Make the Challenge and other organizations that are um, encouraging young people to be more civically engaged. And let's give young people an opportunity to read the various platforms, to study and look up the, the various candidates, and then decide which campaign they would like to participate in. That's what a leader does. That's what I did as, a, as an educator. Now, they're... There were individuals who were spending a little bit too much time around the Rahm Emanuel table. Um, you know, but look, <laughs> I mean, he was the chief of staff to the first black president of the United States of America, right? And so I, I did my best to make sure that young people have the ability to come to conclusions and then make sophisticated responses as a result of, the, a result of that information. Her approach, again, is a very antiquated style uh, where the politics of old continues to leave people behind. I know I said the last thing, but you know I'm a son of a pastor. The last, last thing is, remember when there were teachers who were encouraging their students to actually push back against the administration who was bringing a toxic waste up into their community? 
and that she not only threatened, but went through the entire process to fire those educators for encouraging those students to stand up for their own community, right? It's This is beyond like a double standard. I mean, this is the embodiment of hypocrisy. And I believe our city can be better. And again, that's why I would continue to promote young people to participate in political engagement um, in a in, in, in a nonpartisan way to yeah. give young people the ability to come to their own conclusions. Uh, it's also the absolute uh, wrong way to win over young people. And I say this as an old guy. Oh, my goodness. Uh, one of the themes in any uh, young adult book, many young adult novels, I've read a ton of them over my lifetime, Brandon, is the hypocrisy of adults. This is a constant theme. It's something that teenagers are sensitive to anyway. If you ever yeah. raise a teenager, you notice there's yes. some point in your life the teenager will figure things out. <laughs> and call you out for it. Call you out for doing one thing and saying something else. And yeah, now when, when we yeah. were growing up, Ben, we didn't do that to, to the generation that raised us. It's much different now. Now, I may have thought it, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Well, uh, Oh my goodness, now we're about to go down to old man. My, my day, we never talked to parents that way. <laughs> I never thought Brandon Johnson would be doing that, but yeah, he, he out old man me. <laughs> my, but my mom was old school. She went, don't talk to your mother that way. But ma, anyway. Um, all right, so here's something else. But yeah, so it's the absolute wrong way to, uh, you know, because they always say, and I always make, Mayor Rahm said it. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said it. The editorialists say it when they're when they're mad at the teachers' union. Keep politics out of the schools. And I'm like, man, you guys put politics in the schools in 1995 when you gave all the power to Mayor Daley, and now you act like when anybody criticizes the mayor on his political moves, you always go, take politics out of the schools, harumph. Um, I here's something uh, I need to get your thoughts on uh, in the uh, I can't remember. I've read so many articles about I can't remember if it was WTTW's accounts or the Sun-Times. So I apologize. Uh, but uh, the mayor's team said we got all these contact information because the emails were sent to Chicago public school teachers, which is what a joke. You're going to enlist teachers to ask t- <laughs> after you after we had to go on what a 10 day, 11 day strike in which she took pay. Um, from educators who were fighting for the things that she promised she would deliver as mayor. You know, again, like just the embodiment of hypocrisy. Uh, all right. So um, the, uh, the the Mayor Lightfoot campaign spokesperson, I don't know who it was, uh, it doesn't matter, uh, said that this is these contact. Yes, we, the, the teachers were contacted, but this was all public information. I'm like, I didn't I'm not aware of being able to contact thousands and hundreds and hundreds of teachers through email i don't know where your email addresses are i don't know you know you got to know their names to get a hold of them it sure sounds to me like someone went to the board of education files chicago public school files uh to get this information you know i i just i i push back on that that this is all public information the emails email addresses of teachers your thoughts on this subject Lori lightfoot is the boss I mean, she is. I mean, and so she obviously has an inside track to to the workers and the employees of the city of Chicago. Now, look, I, all all I can say is is that the mayor has given 
there's no reason to trust her. <laughs> I just cut to her. There's no simple way to put it. There's no reason to trust her. And she brought that on herself, though, right? You know, when she said she supported an elected representative school board as a candidate, and then she reneged on that. She said she was going to invest in environmental justice. And we saw what happened um, on the southeast side of Chicago, the southwest side of Chicago. Um, you know, she said she was, you know, committed uh, to making sure that housing um, would 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 move towards being a human right. Um, she reneged on that promise, bring Chicago home. Um, you know, she has managed to piss off every single public employee in the city of Chicago. You know, whether you are a first responder um, or, you know, whether you are um, an educator, um, that, that she has demonstrated that she is not interested in bringing people together and collaborating and learning from all of the different stakeholders that have a vested interest in this city. You know, so, you know, this dynamic of her campaign spokesperson, by the way, which was the third press release on the same issue, you know, as it continued to shift and change. And that's a clear indication that um, they're just being dishonest, right? I mean, that, look, I, I, I taught middle school students and the, 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 the beauty of teaching young people is that at least when they're in middle school, they're really not good at, 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 at lying. They're just not good at it. Right. They, I mean, all the tales are there. You've raised, you know, um, you know, a, a family. So you certainly know, and all of the tenants of those middle school proclivities were coming out of those press releases. And it's always the last one. So no, what had happened was Mr. Johnson, like her last statement literally was no, what happened was what I meant to say, or let's, let's do a real old, old, man's response well you didn't let me finish you know what i'm saying it's like once you get caught now it's like no what i was trying to say was and and what what is what is very glaring about that that's how her entire campaign is operating right now she has failed as a leader she has she has disappointed multiple constituencies you know at least you know we never give credit to people who shouldn't have who have not earned it Rahm Emanuel was very clear who he saw as um, his enemy. You know, he fought teachers. Um, and he confined his, his, his opposition to, to teachers. He understood that the teaching force in the city of Chicago has the clearest view of all that is possible and all that we can promise for the future but it collides with the brutal reality of inequality. He didn't want folks to see that. And we exposed it. And Lori Lightfoot looked at what was exposed to our work, copied and pasted it, and tried to put it on as her own. And now I think people are very clear that the clothing that she has attempted to wear um, does not really reflect the person that she is. And Chicago deserves better. We really do. And, and here's the thing. I mean, when you think about just this conversation around engaging young people, let's talk about engaging voters in general. Ben, you've been at this for a little bit. It's very difficult to get people to, um, to believe that government can respond to the areas of need. And when, when politicians do what Lori Lightfoot has done and what she's been doing, it, it, it can be discouraging and deflating. 
And that's why, again, going back to the beginning part of our conversation, to know that so many people have already surrounded my campaign and my candidacy in such a short period of time where they recognize that as a teacher, as an organizer, as a Cook County commissioner, someone who has demonstrated progressive values and progressive work. I mean, I'm raising my family on the west side of Chicago. And, you know, and this is, you know, not to, to, to play into any sort of preconceived notion that people might have. I love living on the west side of Chicago. We love Austin. It's beautiful. We have parks, lines of transportation. We have schools. But none of them are fully funded and supported. And so all of the potential that could that could manifest, not just on the west side, but the northwest side, the southeast side, everywhere, every single ward in this city um, could experience economic security and real promise that that this mayor's behavior, um, in my opinion, can be more damaging than someone like the previous administration who at the very least was very clear about what and who he opposed. And so now my responsibility as an organizer is to set some real clear objectives and a pathway towards a more just and equitable society. And I'm humbled by it, Ben, I really am. And there's no one in this race that has a greater incentive for the city of Chicago and its politics to work than someone who is raising their family on the west side of Chicago. All right. Uh, so let's get into that. Uh, the vulnerabilities uh, that uh, children face growing up in Chicago. Uh, there was a report about a week ago. We've talked about it on the show with other guests, uh, Brandon, from the inspector general's office of the Chicago public schools that talked about the, the outrageous number of, of uh, complaints or reports by students of being sexually harassed or assaulted in the Chicago public schools. I know you've seen this report. Uh, it's been in all the newspapers <clears throat> or most of the newspapers. Do you think the, uh, it's, as it's currently uh, set up, that the Chicago public schools are doing, have the safeguards uh, in place to look after uh, the needs of students to, to take seriously these kinds of allegations and to follow up on them immediately? Or do you think it's a situation where, you know, people with clout, get to, to stifle the complaints uh, and push them, bury them uh, to the detriment of the students. Go ahead. Yeah, look, I think public schools, um, it's, it's one of the, I believe it's one of the most dynamic forms of, let me say it this way. I actually believe that public education is the best example of, of what this country can be. You know, W.E.B. Du Bois, I quote this all the time, public education at the expense of the state, particularly in the South, after all, was, is a Negro idea. So the very idea of public education where the, the, the descendants of slaves who have served and, you know, in multiple capacities, but we come from a line of, of people who were forced into some of the most brutal forms of, of servitude and, and, and harm. 
saw this country's potential even when this country did not see us. And we saw our potential through education. So I'm always going to be hopeful, Ben, that we hold to this idea that comes from my ancestors, that this is the structure that has tremendous potential. And then, of course, as we prepare for our recognition of Martin Luther King, where he said that if the labor movement and the civil rights movement were to ever collide, what enormous potential it would it would have. So, so, so my reference for the labor movement or the civil rights movement, of course, which is connected to our desire to be educated, that if, if, if my ancestors understood the value of it coming out of slavery, that tells you a lot about why so many forces are trying to make it impossible or unattainable. And so what has happened is to your last point that clout and politics have gotten in the way and have disrupted um, this institution that has tremendous potential to, to, to end the brutal harm of the vestiges of the past. And so what you're seeing in Chicago, and what we've seen in Chicago for too long is that politicians have used education as a way to, to get other people rich, including themselves. And when, I, when we see the harm that has happened to students within our public schools, this is the result of politicians not wanting to fully support and fund schools so that there are enough wraparound services and adults in the building to make sure that we are meeting the needs of students and that we are paying attention to, to, to individuals who would, who would seek to, to harm and take advantage of young people who are coming into these buildings, into, into our schools um, with, 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 with trauma and that they're vulnerable, right? And then, uh, and again, I want to emphasize that the, 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 the intentionality around covering up the harm done against young people is, is sickening. You know, I have an eight-year-old daughter, I have a 10-year-old son and a 15-year-old son. You know, we send our children to school. Um, we send our very best to the school community to be supported and loved and taken care of. And this system hasn't done that for a specific population. It's a very specific population of black, brown, poor students who are already vulnerable. And the system, because of its failed leadership, has taken advantage of, of, of families who are vulnerable. And as mayor of Chicago, for me, I need the public school system to work. I mean, I'm not here if it's if we're not for public education and public school teachers. My children, I drop my children off, my wife and I, every single day um, to the public schools here in Chicago. In fact, I don't know if there's another candidate in this race right now um, that relies upon the public education system. I'm not sure. Um, I do. <laughs> I needed to work. And what I want for my family, I want that for every single family in the city of Chicago. And I'm going to work as I'm going to work very hard <laughs> to, 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 to see that come into fruition. So, you know, on one hand, much like I said earlier, the exposure of the inequities and the brutality that has been carried out against 
families in Chicago by all of these systems. On one hand, I'm glad that there is exposure. On another hand, it could have been avoided had we had good leadership. And Chicago can be better. And, 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 and that's why I'm running because it's not that it simply can be better, it has to get better. It's a matter of life and death. Well, in many instances, uh, there, when you get into a, a situation where it's uh, or any staff member, uh, there's the very important issue, and I don't just dismiss this, uh, that a person is uh, innocent until proven otherwise. And uh, you're, you're affiliated with Chicago Teachers Union. You were an organizer for Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, the role that the Chicago Teachers Union plays, they have bargaining agents whose job it is to protect their members from unjust charges. So it's not as easy as everybody thinks just to, you know what I'm saying? To just assume that it, a teacher has a right, a administrator has a right to defend him or herself. Do you feel like a conflict, uh, Brandon? You know what I'm talking about. You know that the, uh, that the, C, the CTU's primary goal is to represent its uh, members. Do you feel conf uh, conflict as you uh, think about being mayor between your connections to the union uh, and the role you will play as mayor where you have to represent all constituents in Chicago? Representing our members, um, it means we have to represent the families that, not just the families that our members are a part of, but representing the families that they serve. And look, I'll just cut to it. If you're wrong, you're wrong, period. And of course, you know, we're in a democracy, so, you know, we should never eliminate um, due process, right? You know, but much like the fact that we have, you know, a frontline worker in our police force that is a part of a known terrorist organization, that should automatically disqualify you to serve. How do you, how do you, how do you sign up to serve and protect? And, you know, you're part of a terrorist organization that, that stormed the Capitol January 6th to disrupt our democracy. So whether you are a teacher, an elected official, a nurse, a firefighter, a police officer, you, you have an oath to serve humanity and there are consequences, or there at least should be consequences, when, when that confidence and trust is broken. And as mayor of Chicago, that's not a conflict for me because I believe government's first job is to protect the people um, that we are, are swear to, to and uphold an oath to do. I mean, we, that, protecting people that that is the the I believe the very like the fundamental dynamic of what government should do, and that's why having a fully funded neighborhood school that's protecting people, making sure that they're good paying jobs, that's offering protection, making sure that you have a police force that doesn't have the responsibility to deal with um, you know a lot of the trauma that is coming through the nine one one dispatches plays too much of a burden on frontline workers, but. I think the bottom line for, for me is that there is no conflict when it comes to protecting the people of the city of Chicago. And just like I said, my job as 
a husband, as a father, is to provide love and support and to protect my family. And I'm going to bring that same mentality to the fifth floor. All right. Very good. I uh, There was an article in the paper, kind of related uh, uh, topic uh, about a police officer, an ex, a former Chicago police officer, uh, Cabrera is his name, 40 years old, uh, who had... Uh, He'd been charged. Here we go. Here's the lead. He was sentenced to probation after he pled guilty to firing an unarmed man, to firing at an unarmed man while off duty and drunk. So this police officer was off duty and he was drunk and he shot at a guy he got in a fight with. Uh, Kim Fox, the state's attorney, Kim Fox, uh, said the, her office concluded that the totality of the evidence was insufficient to meet our burden of proof for the charges of attempted murder and aggravated discharge of the firearm. And I read this article. And uh, gets at the heart of what you were talking about, Brandon, due process. And what I was talking about, you're innocent until proven otherwise. Now, I'm just going to tell you this straight up as just an observer of Chicago. Had this been, <clears throat> had this been not somebody other than an off-duty Chicago police officer who was drunk, who shot that gun, and Kim Fox dropped the charges, had this been, let's say, a black guy in the West Side, there would be outrage from the Fraternal Order Police. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, probably at least two candidates running for mayor right now that I can think of. It would have been unbelievable. <clears throat> Nobody is even quoted in this story. They didn't even go to Johnny C., Johnny Catanzara, the head of the fraternity. Usually Johnny is in every article where Kim Fox drops a charge. This is an outrage. <laughs> Where's Brian Hopkins, second ward alderman? Outraged. See, Brandon... You talk about like a standard that you have to follow. So there's like a due process standard. And Cabrera deserves due process. I believe that. You're innocent until proven otherwise. But everything has become so politicized in the city of Chicago, Brandon. Every shooting is politicized. Automatically, every lefty and righty needs to fit whatever happened into whatever little narrative they have to justify their existence. And I just find it very, I'd love to get your thoughts about this. The lack of response to Kim Fox dropping the charges against this off-duty Chicago police officer. She said the evidence didn't warrant them filing charges. And I, okay, I'm, I just, I'm okay. That's, and he gets probation. The lack of response from anybody. It's just like, okay. Well, if that's what you say, you and I both know how different it would be if it wasn't an off-duty Chicago police officer and Kim Fox. We've seen it when Kim Fox dropped charges. Your thoughts about these inconsistencies? Go ahead. Well, look, these inconsistencies have been the prevailing standard for some time, right? This is not the first time, you know. I think what, you're, what you are highlighting, you know, Ben, is what, you know, led me to running for office because there is um, a standard that has been established um, for powerful forces, and then there's a so-called standard for the rest of us. And the reason why I believe that standard has been able to prevail is because there, there's been, um, there's been fear um, that has permeated throughout our politics. Um, the control that a handful of entities have been able to hold and maintain. Um, when I moved my ordinance to eliminate discrimination against those who are formerly incarcerated, 
which a good number of those who are returning back into um, the city of Chicago are, are my neighbors are coming back to Austin and Garfield Park. Um, the outrage, if you will, that groups had that somehow I was opening up the floodgates for the formerly incarcerated to come into communities throughout Cook County where they could just kind of get rent for free. And I said to these folks, like, look, I can't afford to live in your neighborhood. <laughs> so you just think that a bunch of individuals who are formerly incarcerated are going to return to a community different than the community that they were raised in? It's just ridiculous. And so you have these entities that play on the fear of, of, of people. And I'm not afraid, Ben. And, and I've, I've had this as a mantra my entire life because that's, that's the way I've survived. You know, having a mother who had a rare heart disease and a father who lost his job and consequently we lose our health insurance and my mother passes away. I know what it's like to come home when, you know, after a tough day and the water is not on and the electric has been, you know, cut off or um, a brother who is struggling with mental health um, challenges and is not being treated and um, unfortunately died um, unhoused and addicted. And I'm saying all that to say is that there's been the criminalization of of those who are struggling for mental health, the criminalization of those who are addicted, a criminalization of those who are living in poverty, but yet forces that should have a standard that is much greater than, I would say, than residents. That once you commit to public service, there has to be a greater standard. That greater standard, though, Ben, has to be established and set by the people who are in charge. The reason why I believe these type of um, double standards exist is because we don't have a standard. And as a public school teacher, there were students who struggled with the lesson plan or the standard that I set, but they knew where we were going. And as, as residents of the city of Chicago, you're right. We have to be better at, at, at demonstrating and showing our outrage of how groups of people, whether you are, you know, like my family coming up from the South, the great migration, particularly the second great migration is when my family came up, um, or, you know, those seeking asylum, that this has to be a place that welcomes people. And um, the brutality that has been allowed to be a part of the standard and the norm where some people get certain privileges and protection while the rest of us have to either fend for ourselves or compete over a small amount of whatever is left over, that that is the structure that I believe that black, brown, white, Asian people around the city are prepared to dismantle. It's why if you look at my campaign, it's multicultural, it's multi-generational. We're in one end of the city to the other end of the city and everywhere else in between. So it is a pretty jacked up whack system. And I called that out in my legislation you know, when I called for justice for black lives, when I called for the budget for black lives, and there's been some positive responses from it, but we need a leader at the executive level that's going to set the standard to place some order into our, our, our politics um, so that no one, no one gets to be above law. 
All right, Brandon, that's as good a spot as ever to cut it off. I know you're eager to get back on that campaign trail. I just have one question, one last question well, uh, that someone asked me to ask you. Uh, I was having a conversation uh, with a mutual acquaintance of ours yesterday, uh, and he asked me to ask you, have you made a decision as to who you're going to endorse for mayor in South Bend, Indiana? Oh, <laughs> uh, what's going on, my good friend and brother? Henry Davis Jr. Yes, I have made a decision who I'm going to support for the mayor of South Bend. I have. Okay. Um, and um, I'm going to reveal that the next time I come on your show. All right. Hey, so because I need to get another interview in. So yeah, that's one way. Uh, but All I right. will tell you this: I'm leaning towards the brother with the beard. Just for the record, that yeah. that that the brothers with beards who run for mayor. There's there's a very interesting dynamic that's happening here. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, um, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I have to, you have you have to look up all of those names, but there's a streak that's happening. So, you know, I'm keeping my full beard. Um, uh, Henry Davis Jr. has a beard. So we want to make sure that, that we go uh, five, six and oh. But yes, uh, Birmingham, look it up. Jackson, um, St. Paul. Uh, you know, the places where black men are winning as as mayor, they're they're, they're They have full beards. I can't uh, remember because I can't get a picture in my mind. Does Eric Adams, New York City mayor, have a beard? No, he doesn't. No, <laughs> Brandon doesn't want to be, you know, I'm enthusiastic about putting himself. Uh, I didn't say him. You didn't hear me say New York. <laughs> I'm so, yeah. I, no, I, look, I, you know, Henry is a great city council person in South Bend. I know he's running for mayor of South Bend, and he has my full support and blessing. South Bend. He's running South for mayor of South Bend. Yeah. South Bend. Yep. Yeah. South Bend. Yeah. And uh, so shout out Henry Davis Jr. is going to be coming on the show in about a week or so. Uh, all right. Very good. Thank you very much, Brandon Johnson. And uh, get back on that campaign trail. All right. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. All right. That's Brandon Johnson. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody.